Well, if you've got a Bible, open to Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, if you're new with us, my name is Shannon. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. We've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount together for the last couple of weeks. We've been looking at the section of the Sermon on the Mount called the Beatitudes, in which Jesus lays out his vision for what it is to live the Christian life, what it means to be a Christian. And what we have said from the very outset as we look at these Beatitudes together is this, is that the Beatitudes are not a string of commands that God gives, but they are a statement of character that are consistent with the, the, the lives, the character qualities of the lives of the citizens of God's kingdom. So Jesus doesn't come to us in the Beatitudes and say, do this and do this and do this and do this and do this, but he comes to us in the Beatitudes and he says, citizens of God's kingdom are this, they are this, they are this, they are this. One pastor by the name of David Martin Lloyd-Jones, I've cited him quite a bit in this series so far, he says this about the Beatitudes, he says, a Christian is something before he does anything. And we have to be Christian before we can act as Christians. He goes on to say, to be a Christian, I say, is to possess a certain character before, and therefore to be a certain type of person. So often that is misinterpreted and people think that what the New Testament exhorts us to do is to try and be Christian in this and that respect and to try and live as a Christian here or there. He says, not at all. We are Christians. We are Christians and our actions are the outcome of that. Going a step further, he says, we can put it like this. We are not meant to control our Christianity. Our Christianity is rather meant to control us. He says, he is God, he, God is in control, not I, so that I must not think of myself as a natural man who is trying to control his attitude and trying to be a Christian in various ways. He says, no, rather, his spirit controls me at the very center of my life. It controls the very spring of my being, the very source of all my activity. So he says, before you ever do anything as a Christian, he says, you must be a Christian. Right, there's certain character qualities that are cultivated within our lives that ultimately have outcomes in our actions. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. And listen, these character qualities that Jesus is talking about, they are present in the life of every person who would call themselves a Christian, who is a Christian, a true Christian in the eyes of God. There, even even the, the, the newly converted individual who's just come to faith in Jesus, they're there at least in seed form, Right? They're, they're at least little parts of the, the yeast that's been worked into the dough. As Jesus talks about later on in Matthew's gospel in Matthew chapter 13. They're at least there as seeds or as yeast that slowly begins to invade and expand in our lives. So that the longer that you walk with God in a relationship through Jesus Christ, the more and more and more of these character qualities are cultivated in your life. Those of you who have been a Christian for a very long time, maybe you recognize this, that the longer that you walk with God, the more poor in spirit you realize you really are. The longer that you walk with God, the, more, the less impressed with yourself you become. The longer that you walk with God, the more you're grieved by the continued indwelling presence of the flesh and of sin in your life. That the longer that you walk with God, the more you find an appetite for righteousness, to think God's thoughts after him, to rejoice in what he rejoices in, reject what he rejects, the more you find that appetite for righteousness growing in you. The longer that you walk with God, the more these seeds that are implanted within us at our conversion begin to spring, spring up into branches that ultimately begin to bear fruit and have outcomes in our actions. 
But in the Beatitudes, Jesus is trying to get at the, un, underneath the actions to the character and say, this is the kind of people we must be before he drives at the kinds of things that we must do. Does that make sense? That's what, that's what we've been working our way through for, over the course of the last several weeks in the Beatitudes. And this week, we're going we're gonna to take a, a bigger bite of the Beatitudes together. We're going to look at the last four. Now, the last couple of weeks, we looked at, the, we looked at two of the first week and two the second week. And, the, and listen, the Super Bowl doesn't kick off until 3.30, and so we've got plenty of time. We've got a lot of ground to cover, and we're going to cover these four together, and I'm going to do so by just talking really fast, all right? And so we're going to look at these last four Beatitudes together this morning. And see the kind of character that Jesus is saying the citizens of his kingdom have cultivated within them. And so Jesus says that, we'll jump into the text in verse 7, read down through verse 12 and look at these four beatitudes that Jesus gives us in those verses. He says in verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now these last four beatitudes that Jesus gives us in verses 7 through 12 start in verse 7 when Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Jesus says, well, those who are favored by God, those who are blessed are those individuals who have the character quality of mercy that's being cultivated within their lives. The merciful. So the word mercy in the Bible... Uh, to kind of help us get an understanding of what this means. The word mercy in the Bible has a, has a, you see the word mercy and grace that are used all across the scriptures, but they have a, somewhat of a distinction between them. While the word grace refers to the offense itself or the sin that's committed in and of itself, mercy refers to the consequences or effects of that sin in someone's life, right? And so while, while grace offers pardon, and forgiveness and cleansing, mercy comes alongside to help and to cure and to heal, right? And so that's what, when Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, he's saying, blessed are those individuals who have a compassion within them for people who are in need, people whose lives have been shattered by the consequences and effects of sin, people whose lives have been broken by the reality of the indwelling flesh. That there's a, a movement towards them and not away from them. It's it, essentially mercy within the Bible is the idea of not passive pity where you look at somebody and you go, I feel really sorry for them. But the idea of mercy in the Bible is looking at someone and saying, how can I help? What can I give? What can I, how can I move towards them? Right? It's, being, it's active compassion, not passive pity. Listen, some of us think that we're merciful because when we watch commercials on television and we see the commercial for, like, you know, when Sarah McLaughlin comes on and they, she begins to sing in the arms of an angel, right, and everything's really quiet and soft and they show all the pictures of these puppy dogs and cats that need to be adopted from their shelters before they get euthanized. And we start crying whenever we see all the dogs and cats are going to die and we think, I'm such a merciful person. That's not mercy, right? That's, that's a little bit of pity that you feel for these animals, or whenever you, maybe to go a step further, whenever you watch commercials for world hunger or, or world vision and you see lives of individuals across, in other continents who are starving 
and they're asking for your donations for food and you feel sad and so perhaps you even change the channel. You think I'm such a merciful person because I can't even watch that. That's not mercy. That's pity. Right? Mercy is not passive pity. It's active compassion. It's moving toward those who are in need, not just feeling sorry for them. And when Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, he doesn't qualify who it is that we're showing mercy to, that we're moving towards. He didn't qualify. And so it could be those individuals whose lives are broken by the, 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 the effects and consequences of sin, and they live in poverty, and they're, they're, they, they, don't have, they don't know where food's going to come from the next day. Right, and so they're, they're hungry. It could be those individuals, students, some of you in your schools right now, you may have, indi- may have classmates or friends who right now their lives are being ripped apart by divorce and their families. And they don't know which end is up or where to go. And mercy is moving towards them in compassion to care and love. It might be those individuals who, 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 have, who, are, who are violators, right? It might be those individuals who have sinned against you and that you would move towards them to extend forgiveness. It might be those individuals who have been sinned against and are victims that you see in your life. And that you don't just sit back and say, I feel sorry for them, but you move towards them to help and to serve and to come alongside. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful and the mercy is not qualified. It could be the hungry, the sick, the outcast, the victim, or the perpetrator. And there's one great picture of mercy within the Bible that Jesus, in a parable that Jesus tells, a story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 10, that I think kind of gets to the heart of what it is to be merciful. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Right? And he tells the story about this guy who comes, he's on a, on a journey from, from one city to another, and he comes upon a band of robbers who beat him and rob him and leave him for dead. And then you got the big time religious dudes who keep passing by, and they look on the side, and they say, oh, they might have a little bit of pity on the guy and feel sorry for him, but they don't stop to do anything until a Samaritan comes along. And the Samaritans in Jesus' day were kind of half-breeds, right? They were mixed ethnically between um, two races of individuals, classes of individuals. They were not seen, regarded highly by the Jews in Jesus' day. But the Samaritan stops and he bandages up his wounds. He puts him on his donkey. He takes him to a hotel, pays his bill. And at the end of the story, Jesus turns to everyone who's standing around him and he says, which one of these men or these individuals was a neighbor to the man? And he says, and, and they, they, they don't have any, they're backed into a corner. They don't have anywhere to go. And this is what they say. They say, the one who showed him mercy. The one who showed, see, mercy is not just something that we feel. It's something that we show. It's something that we show. But mercy is absolutely upside down in a culture of vengeance. <laughs> right? In a culture of vengeance. Because in our culture, revenge is delicious and mercy at times is distasteful. Right? In 2005, country music superstar Carrie Underwood, she released a song called Before He Cheats. Some of you are starting to smile and laugh because you know the exact song that I'm speaking of. In the lyrics of that song, she tells the story of a spurned lover who gives her ex-boyfriend exactly what's coming to him. And listen to what she says in the chorus of the song. She says this, I dug my key into the side of his pretty little souped-up four-wheel drive. I carved my name into his leather seats. I took a Louisville slugger to both headlights, slashed a hole in all four tires. Maybe next time he'll think before he cheats. It's a celebration of vengeance, right? Right? of revenge, of getting back. 
And there, there are some of us who listen to that song and we maybe think of people in our lives and they go, well, that's what they get. That's what they deserve. They had it coming to them. That is not mercy. That is vengeance. And over and over again in the Bible, we're admonished to leave vengeance not to ourselves in our hands, but to the hands of God. But we are commanded over and over again to show mercy. And Jesus says those who are citizens of God's kingdom, there's, a, there's mercy, this characteristic quality of mercy that's being cultivated within them because they've tasted of mercy themselves. They recognize in their poverty of spirit in the morning of their sin, they recognize that what God has done is he's met them in their need. So how could they withhold from others meeting them in theirs? And so one of the ways that it's kind of, one of the benchmarks to, 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 to understand whether or not this kind of, this quality of mercy is being cultivated within you is how you respond to those who have set themselves up as your enemies. How do you respond to them? Listen, recently in the news, there were, there were headlines about a couple of, um, uh, of, 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 of really heinous acts that took place. One north of our border in Canada and one south of us, I believe down in Houston, where two mosques where one was set on fire and burned and the other had some, an individual who showed up with guns and began to commit a mass shooting. Right, as all these Muslims were gathered for prayer and worship. And listen, there are many within our nation and perhaps even many within our churches who, whether they would say it out loud or not, the, the, the thought that runs through their mind and the, the feelings that begin to rise in their heart is, Look, a bunch of terrorists just got what was coming to them. Instead of, there are individuals now who are made in the image of God, who have been blinded by the God of this age to worship, love, and serve a false God, who are now separated from the true God forever, and I'm broken by that. See, mercy doesn't say that's what they get, but mercy says, what can I give? How can I help? How can I be a part of the, the solution, the cure? How can I alleviate the effects of the brokenness they're feeling in their lives on account of the way sin has ravaged them? And Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, those who have that quality of mercy, of compassion into action that's being cultivated in their lives. He says, for they shall receive mercy. Those who have tasted of it, they cannot help but deliver it. Is that you? Is there mercy being cultivated in your life? Second of all, not only does Jesus say blessed are the merciful, but he also says blessed are the pure in heart. The pure in heart. And purity of heart here in Jesus uh, in Jesus' uh, term, terminology, the way that he speaks about the purity of heart is this, is that there's a, a sincerity that would shun hypocrisy. A sincerity. It's, it's, it's an unmixed, undivided devotion to God. Undivided devotion to God. Listen, in Psalm 24, David writes these words. He says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and he does not swear deceitfully. 
David says that the one who can climb the hill into the presence of God are those individuals who do not pretend to be something that they are not. They don't put on a show for anyone. They don't swear deceitfully. They don't make promises that are, that are ba- based on things outside of the reality of who they are. They don't worship what is false. They don't worship false gods, nor do they worship a false image of themselves. They shun hypocrisy and there's a deep sincerity in their life. So God, and, and, and the, the, the truth of what Jesus says here is that God meets us in that sincerity in a way that he does not meet us in our hypocrisy. You see, the word hypocrisy in Jesus' day came from a Greek term that meant um, to, to play act, right? to be on a, the Greek stage and the Greek theater. Hypocrites were actors in Jesus' day in the, in the Greco-Roman world. Right? They didn't have Denzel Washington right, to go cast for whatever play they were doing down at the local uh, amphitheater. Right? And so what they would do, is they, because there was a limited number of actors, they would, each actor might play multiple roles. And the way they would play multiple roles is by putting on a mask between each scene. And so from scene to scene, they would change who they were and how they were acting. And Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, those with whom, in whom there is a sincerity, an unmixed, undivided devotion to God that would shun hypocrisy. But you and I live, we live in a play-acting culture where we're taught, right, to kind of blend in as a chameleon, right? A chameleon that changes its colors and stripes depending upon the environment and the circumstances and situations and context in which it finds itself. We got got any sci-fi fans in here? It's okay to admit that, right? We're not going to kick you out right but if you're a sci-fi fan right maybe you're a fan of maybe some of the x-file um not x-files x-men different show x-men movies that have been recently made into you know cinematic productions and there's a character within the x-men um who's known as mystique and mystique is this shapeshifter who can change how she looks and dressed even right her facial structure everything about her from situation to situation to situation to blend in and not be recognized as who she really is and there are many individuals in our culture who operate that way they operate as hypocrites as those who change masks from setting to setting to setting Right? And so if you want to be in with those who are in the, the elite section of society, then you act a certain way, you adopt certain values and visions of life whenever you're around them. Students at school, if you want to kind of be in the in crowd with the popular kids, then you act a certain way around them right, to receive their approval or their acceptance. And so you shift from place to place. You become a different person in all these different contexts. And Jesus says into a culture that is very familiar with play acting. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, those in whom there is a sincere, unmixed, undivided devotion to God. There's a, there's a purity in here. And, he's, and the reason he said, listen, listen to what he says, the promise that he attaches to that. He says, those who have a sincere, unmixed, undivided devotion to God, he says, they, they will see God. And is there anything else in the world that is more breathtaking or beautiful than to see God? Now that is, that is a future tense verb. They shall see God. 
In other words, in the future, they'll lay eyes on God in all of his majesty, in all the mystery of God will be revealed to us progressively throughout all of eternity as we look upon him. As Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, that right now we see as in a mirror dimly, one day the veil will be lifted and the mirror will be shattered and we will see God face to face. But the Bible also says that without holiness, there is no one who will lay eyes on God. And if there's not holiness and a purity of heart, sincerity of devotion that's being cultivated here and now in your life, then you cannot expect to then and there stand before God and behold him in all of his majesty without being burned up by it. What do you want to see most? Listen, we live in a culture that is, has, where there's an epidemic of pornography. You want to get real practical? It's ep- pornography is an, a rampant epidemic. It is the seedbed for human trafficking. I saw a story on the news last night about how, uh, how human traffickers are now beginning to use social media to know where your child goes to school, what kinds of things they're interested in, where you check in at when you're not home to lure children into that industry. But a part of this, the, 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 the kindling that's fueling that is the porno, pornographic epidemic within our culture where, we, where you, can, you can lay eyes on tantalizing skin through a screen somewhere else. But listen, what do you want to see most? Is that what you want to see most? Or do you want to see God? You want to lay eyes on God and be captivated by his breathtaking beauty. So that you would shun the hypocrisy of that screen. And that you would lay eyes and behold the beauty of your creator. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will be the ones who lay eyes on God. Third, Jesus says as well, blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemakers. And Jesus says the peacemakers are those individuals whom God uses as instruments and tools in his hands to begin to fix fractures and repair rips. See, every single individual who's ever lived has under, uh, understands what it is to have been fractured by the fall and ripped in half by the effects of sin in their lives. Some in more tame ways and some in more wild ways. But they, there's a reality in which sin is, has ripped us apart. It's severed the relationship that we have with God. And Jesus says there are peacemakers who are, who, whose, whose lips are dripping with the gospel of peace. Whose feet are shotted with the gospel of peace. And they are taking, their beautiful feet are taking the gospel to people in places that have not heard the name of Jesus. Whose lives have been shattered by sin. They're coming to them with a message of Jesus and the mercy of Jesus. And they're seeking to make peace between God and man by bringing the gospel to bear into people's lives. But not only is there a vertical rip that's been experienced by all men and women in all places at all times, but there's also horizontal rips that occur because whenever we say, I know how to do life better than you, God, right? I, I know what I need more than you do, God. That's the essence of sin. It's not trusting God. It's not just the breaking of a bunch of rules, but the essence of sin is the violation of a relationship. That you turn away from God and say, God, I can figure this out for myself. And when we do, 
the outcome of that in life oftentimes is fractured and shattered horizontal relationships as well. And Jesus says there's peacemakers who are taking the gospel to people who have never heard the name of Jesus, never responded, never crossed the line of faith so they can be reconciled vertically to God. But there's also peace, part of that peacemaking process is entering into relationships, entering into lives, entering into places and with people whose, whose horizontal relationships have been pulled apart because someone said, I know how to do this better than God. And they're seeking to broker peace there and reconcile relationships and resolve conflict. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, those who are engaged in that work of making peace between God and man and between man and man. And listen to what he says. The reason they're blessed is because he says they will be called sons of God. Now listen, in Jesus' day, and in many parts of the world, even to this day, right, to be called someone's son meant that you were involved in the work of your father. <laughs> right? So Jesus, he was born, his earthly father, Joseph, was a carpenter. So for the first 30 years of Jesus' life, he's learning the skill and trade of carpentry. And he's a carpenter from Nazareth for the first 30 years of his life. So if your dad was a carpenter, you became a carpenter. If your dad was a, a farmer, you became a farmer. If your dad was, a, a, you know, in other parts of the world, as, as commerce began to develop, if he was a banker, maybe you got into the industry of banking. If your dad was a, a, a mechanic, you became a mechanic, whatever it was. You followed in the footsteps of your father and engaged in his work. And when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, he says, blessed are those who are repairing rips and fixing fractures between God and man and man and man because they're involved in the work of their father. They're a chip off the old block. They're doing the same thing that God is doing. They're being used as a tool and an instrument in his hands to bring broker peace where there, was, where there was war, where there was conflict, where there was hostility. And listen, this process of peacemaking that Jesus says is characteristic of those who are part of God's kingdom, citizens of God's kingdom under the righteous and redemptive rule of Jesus. This characteristic of peacemaking. Peace is up, upside down in a culture that is infatuated with peacekeeping. With peacekeeping. And there, there's a couple of ways that people try and keep peace within our culture. One is through avoidance. The other is through aggression. Some individuals try and keep peace through avoidance. And so whenever conflict begins to erupt, or whenever they see people's lives that are being shattered because there's obviously a fracture and a rip between them and God, or a fracture and rip between them and someone else, what they do is they avoid that situation at all costs. They bury their head in the sand, or they turn an eye. They don't want to make eye contact, right? They get in their car and just drive off as quickly as they can. And they do so under the guise of it not being any of my business. But, but listen, whenever we say that, listen, look, that's none of my business. What we really mean is, I don't want that to be any of my business. <laughs> because that's gonna cost time, and that's gonna cost energy. It's gonna require sacrifice. I'm gonna have to show up at 2 a.m. when things go haywire. I don't want it to be any of my business, and so I just avoid those situations at all costs. There are others who seek to keep the peace through aggression. 
through aggression. Because if you can raise your voice long enough and loud enough, if you can be catty enough with someone, right, to where they just back down, you can yell them off their hill, right, then they back down. You regain control of the situation and then, it's peace. I've got peace. No, no, you kept the peace. You didn't make the peace. See, peacemaking doesn't come through carpet bombing someone. It doesn't. But some people, they, 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 they're infatuated with peacekeeping, so they just carpet bomb individuals. They don't actually make peace. So what's the first step to peacemaking? And, and here's, here's the first step. We've, we're running out of time. We don't have time to go through all the steps, so here's the first step. First step to peacemaking is to take the doctrine of sin and not just apply it to them, but apply it to you. Apply it to you. See, the doctrine of sin, the biblical doctrine of sin, when theologians speak of us being totally depraved, what they're not talking about is that we are as bad as we possibly could be. Right? There are people in our community, people in this room who could be a lot worse than they are. And you're looking at one of them. Right? We're not, doesn't mean that we're as bad as we possibly could be, but what the doctrine of total depravity, the doctor, biblical doctrine of sin says, is that every part of us has been stained, shaped, marred, bent, or broken by the fall. So that the way that we think, the, what we feel, how we act, all of those aspects of our life have been shaped, marred, bent, or broken by the fall. And what we often do whenever we engage in conflict is we suspect everyone else of impure motives. We suspect everyone else of of having a will that's been bent and broken. But we don't look in the mirror and suspect ourselves. See, the first, but the first step to peacemaking, particularly in these horizontal relationships that we're trying to repair, is looking in the mirror and suspecting myself of being a part of the problem. Where have I used a careless, made a careless comment? Where have I been somewhat passive aggressive? Where have I? Like we, we suspect the motives and actions of everyone else other than ourselves. And listen, for some of you, this would like completely transform your marriage if you would begin to look in the mirror and apply the doctrine of your sin to yourself before you did to your spouse. And you begin to suspect yourself And pray the prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 139 when David says, test me, O God, and know my heart. See if there's any wicked way within me. God, would you bring that to the surface? Would you expose my motives? Would you expose my attitudes? Would you expose my preconceived ideas and understandings and notions? Would you expose the way in which I sinned, which I've been in, in in the wrong And then as God exposes those things, then then you go to the individual and you say, Here's where I've been out of bounds. Here's where I've sinned against you. Here's where I have been wrong. Would you forgive me? And you seek to reconcile that relationship. You don't just roll in and carpet bomb them with accusations about everything that they've done wrong because you suspect them but not yourself. And here's the truth. Listen, some of you will seek peace and seek to be peacemakers in relationships with people who will not have it. And so when the Bible says, as so far as it depends upon you, live at peace with all people, you'll, you'll go as far as it depends on you. 
but they still will not have it. And listen, some of you may be living under the burden of that this morning, and I want you to know you can be free from that. You can be free from that. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers because they're involved in the work of their dad. Finally, Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted. Those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, not not only are the merciful, not only are the pure in heart, not only are the peacemakers, but the persecuted. And not just those who, listen, listen, persecution is not somebody saying something true to you or somebody saying something hurtful to you, something that wounds you, that's true about you. That's called friendship, right? That's called accountability. When somebody runs you through with a sword, the Bible speaks of, of, in the Proverbs of the faithful wounds of a friend. That is not persecution. Jesus says when somebody utters something falsely about you on my account, that's persecution. Right, so if you're just being a numbskull, right, or a nincompoop, or just kind of acting like a straight-up fool, and somebody confronts you, they're not persecuting you. They're being a friend. They're loving you. It's not persecution, but persecution is whenever you have two value systems that clash together because they're irreconcilable. We've talked about this a little bit already in this series, but whenever those, those who come under the gentle and gracious and redemptive and righteous rule of Jesus in their life... And they submit to Jesus as their king. They say, he's calling the shots in my life. So there is an objective truth that's outside of me. There is something that I bend my knee to. God has a design for life and it is the way that, that, that life works best and I come under his rule and so I submit myself to him. So I find truth outside of me. But on the other side of the coin, particularly in our culture today, there are lots of individuals who are looking for truth inside of themselves. We talked about this a little bit already in this series. Is that they look inside and they say, what do I find to be true in here? That's my standard of truth and that's what I'm going to live according to. And so whenever you have an internal subjective standard of truth that comes up against an external objective standard of truth, those two things are going to clash together eventually. Eventually they will clash and they'll be irreconcilable. And in those occasions, there will be individuals who lobby all kinds of accusations, who call, all, call you all kinds of names. You will be persecuted in our nation right now with words, in other parts of the world with wounds. Where there are other parts of the world where people are losing their life because of their allegiance to Jesus, because they bend their knee to him and say, he is my only king. Here, here in America, we're being persecuted with words. And people are living all kinds of accusations against us. But Jesus says, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, citizens of my kingdom, they hold fast and tight to me in the midst of all kinds of being maligned. Because whenever you publicly align with Jesus, you will be publicly maligned for Jesus. This is part of life. Jesus says it's always been that way. They persecuted the prophets who came before you. And if you look in throughout church history, you see waves of persecution that rise and there's ebbs and flows to history. 
as cycles repeat themselves over and over again as the church is pressed down and persecuted because she continues to hold fast to Jesus in the midst of the changing winds of the culture. And Jesus says, blessed are you when you're persecuted because persecution, there's a couple of things. Listen, persecution will reveal the genuineness of your faith. Of, of whether or not you just thought Jesus was a good idea or whether or not you thought Jesus was the great king of all creation. It will reveal the genuineness of your faith. Jesus says, look at the prophets who came before you, those who held fast to God and his word. This is what they experienced. And he says, if you're walking in those same steps, this is what you will experience. There's a genuineness there as you look back and take that historical scope into consideration. But not only does he say that, but he says that you have a great reward in heaven when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake and people utter all kinds of things falsely about you on my account. Your reward in heaven will be great. So rejoice in that. And what, what will your reward in heaven be? Think about it with me for a moment. Your reward in heaven. There's places in the Bible where Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me and my words before men, then I will be ashamed of you before my Father who is in heaven. In Romans 1.16, the Apostle Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. The Bible speaks in multiple places about shame and honor because it was a shame and honor culture. And, I, and I, I want you to consider this with me for a moment, that those, that you have, you, we have a choice. We have a choice uh, between where, where and with whom we will experience honor and where and with whom we will experience shame. And Jesus in the gospel says, you can choose to have honor before men and have all men speak well of you, but woe to you if you choose that. Or you can choose to have honor before God. So that when you stand in his presence one day and Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father, the King of all creation, who endured the cross, despising its shame and sat down at the right hand of the Father for you and for me, that he would stand to his feet and point and say, that one, that one was faithful. That one was faithful. You see, you and I, we can have honor before men and shame before God, or we can have honor before God and be shamed before men. And Jesus says, be careful which one you choose, because you will be choosing it forever. For those who are persecuted on account of righteousness sake, because they're rejoicing in what God rejoices in, rejecting what God rejects, thinking God's thoughts after him, he says, there will be persecution. And a part of our problem is that we live in a culture where we don't like to be persecuted. We want privilege. We want privilege. Now listen, some of you are in the room this morning and you're like, man, I've, I've, I've blown it. Like I've, I've run away from, I've, I've, I've been ashamed of, of Jesus and with my family. I've been ashamed of Jesus with my friends at school. I've been ashamed of Jesus in all kinds of contexts in my neighborhood with my neighbors. I never really talked to them about Jesus before. I haven't been like Paul in Romans 1.16. I've been ashamed, not unashamed of the gospel. And I want you to know, I want you to know that you have a good and gracious God and if you feel like you've run a wall. You've been absent without leave. 
that Jesus stands ready to receive you with arms wide open, with grace upon grace. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, and blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. These are the kind of character qualities being cultivated in the lives of God's people, and when they are, listen, when they are, the church collectively together as a body, as the body of Christ in the world, she becomes invariably like a magnet whereby she begins to attract the world and at times repel the world. There's both and taking place. As those who are broken in humility, they come to, before God in, 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 in their poverty of spirit, they're drawn in by this counter-cultural community called the church where everything seems to be upside down, but it's so beautiful to see mercy. It's so beautiful to see righteousness. It's so beautiful to see humility. It's so beautiful to see brokenness over sin and people who are not impressed with themselves. But others, it, re- it, it, it repels because in their pride, in their pride, they continue to harden their heart against God. And this should be no surprise to us because this is exactly the experience not only of the citizens of God's kingdom but of the king himself. See, there's, there's a hero in these Beatitudes and it's not you or I. <laughs> it's Jesus. It's the great king. Consider this as we close this morning. Jesus is the hero of the Beatitudes because Jesus who was rich, he laid it all aside and made himself poor. Considering not equality with God as something to be grasped, but laid it down for my sake and for yours. Jesus had nothing to mourn for himself because he was sinless and perfect, but he was moved to tears over the city of Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 23, who he longed to bring under his arms as a hen, or as a, as a, as a hen would her chicks, but they continued to repel and, re- and rebel against God. Jesus had, um, there was no meeker man who ever lived or ever will live than Jesus. When he was struck, he didn't defend himself through shows of force. He didn't call down legions of angels, but he merely entrusted his soul to God and waited for God to vindicate and resurrect him. Jesus, he had no food, he had food to eat other than bread, right? He says, my food is to do the will of my Father who is in heaven. He hungered and thirsted after righteousness. Jesus did not look on us in pity, but with mercy. He looked on both people who were like sheep with no shepherd, and he was moved by mercy to act on their behalf. His compassion overflowed out of his life out of his heart into his life as he laid down his life for his people. Jesus is the unique and only human who has ever lived with all sincerity. He's the one who has clean hands and a pure heart who ascends the hill to the presence of the Lord and he takes everyone who would trust and treasure him along with him. Jesus made peace. He was the great peacemaker who made peace by the blood of his cross that we who were far off and fractured could be repaired, put back together and fixed by grace through faith and in Christ. And Jesus was the ultimate innocent sufferer who was rejected and persecuted by the religious elite because his righteous life exposed their unrighteousness. He's the hero of the Beatitudes and this morning we celebrate him. If you've never crossed the line of faith, 
if you don't even find the seeds of these beatitudes at work in your life, of poverty of spirit, of mourning your sin, of meekness and humility, if you don't find the seeds of, of an appetite for the word and ways and will of God, if you don't find the, even the seed of mercy in your life, if you don't even find the seed, the seed of purity and peacemaking and of the resolve to endure persecution, if you don't find even the seed of that, I want to invite you this morning to look to the hero of the Beatitudes and know that Jesus stands ready to receive you. If you would turn from trusting in yourself and you would place your faith in him, oh, that he would be ready to receive with arms open wide and to embrace you and begin to cultivate these things within you. If you find those seeds, My prayer is that you fix your eyes on Jesus this morning as we close in song, that he would continue that work of cultivating these character qualities in you. Let's pray together. Father, we come today grateful for your word and grateful for the way that it intersects with our lives. And God, we acknowledge this this morning that we cannot do this on our own, that we're not equipped to do it on our own. And Father, I pray that if there's those in the room this morning who have been trying to do it on their own all their lives, I pray that this morning they would stop trying to come to you with their hands full and their head held high, saying, God, look what I have to offer. But they would come with their hands empty and their head bowed low, saying, God, I have nothing to offer. You have everything to give. They would turn from sin. They would trust and trust in Jesus. And they would begin to see new hungers and appetites. New outcomes and ways of life beginning to flow from these seeds that you would plant and cultivate in them. And Father, for those who have, I pray that as we turn our eyes now to this great King who reigns forever and ever and ever, who is the hero of these Beatitudes, who was poor in spirit, our excellence who mourned the brokenness of this world who was meek and humble and gentle and mild who hungered and thirsted after righteousness the one who was merciful and acted in accordance with his mercy the one who brought peace between us and you and the one who's able to make peace between us and all the relationships and the relational shrapnel and dig all that out of our hearts the one whose hands have always been clean and whose heart has always been pure and the one who is persecuted because of his single-minded, unmixed devotion to you as his father. We celebrate him this morning and through that as you turn our eyes to him, may you cultivate and bear fruit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.